So welcome to episode three of the Tucker Tennis Academy podcast powered by Genesis Health Clubs. I'm here with Camilo. Camilo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Laura, for having me. Tell, tell us a little bit about what you do here at the Academy. What's your your role, your position, your title? Who do you work with? Tell us just for the parents to know a little bit about that. Okay, so pretty much my role at the moment right now is, is uh, working right next to Chris, who is the Academy Director. He's in charge of the full-time program, and I'm just assisting him mainly with the full-time uh, piece of it, which is, it involves, it has different components. So I am in charge of the 3D, uh, analysis, not doing the 3D video, but making sure we set up the schedule, make sure we have the right day sometimes for the video sessions with Shaughnessy, who is the guy in charge of it. Uh, I am also in charge of tennis analytics, which is recording matches for the kids and then doing the review with them as well once we get the report from, from tennis analytics. Um, I am in charge as well of the tournaments making sure the kids have a tournament schedule, making sure the primary coaches uh, get all the help that they need in terms of setting up the schedules, going to the right tournaments, uh, in charge of doing the expenses when we send coaches out to different towns and cities. I am the one in charge of getting all the information and all the paperwork so I can process the payments, parents get, get in charge and stuff like that. And then on the court, um, I am assisting Chris the whole time. So it's either me or him uh, at the, on court with the kids. So when he's not there, Pretty much, I am the one supervising and running practice. Um, I mean, that doesn't mean that the other coaches don't run it, but one of us is always one of us is always involved for sure. So tell tell me a little more about the tennis um, the tennis analytics piece, uh, the 3D. I'm going to have uh, Sawinski on. He'll talk a lot about the 3D, and really, he's the only person in the country that does that. But uh, Tell me a little bit about tennis analytics. What is it? What did a kid get out of it? That's so tennis analytics is another resource that we offer. Um, we partnered up with Tennis Analytics, which is the name of the company. And pretty much what we do with the full-time kids is that they get five matches a year. And we record the matches. We video the matches on court. And then we send the video to the people that are in California right now. And then they process the video. And then they send us a report. And then they send us as well a video on Darfish which allows me to filter so I can take a look at unforced errors. I can take a look at the percentage of the first serve. Um, it, it allows me to do to break it down the way I want it. Uh, so when we get with the kids, we take a look at, we don't look at the whole video, but we, we make it very specific in terms of the stuff that we're working on with the kids. So if we have a kid that is working on transitioning and coming to the net, I can filter and say, just show me the points that the kid just played at the net whether they won or lost it, then we can take a look at that and then it will give me also detailed information how many times they came to the net and how many points they actually won at the net. So it just gives us more information so when we go back on court to practice and to work with them, uh, we just have more more tools and more resources. Yeah, that makes total sense. Do the parents get access to that or the, the kids get access or is it just the coaches? No, everybody has access. So what we do is just enter the information in the system and then the kids have to set up an account and then they can review it at home. Yes, a Darfish account. And then they can go at home and they can review it. And they have access to all the matches that we have video from them. And then they can just go back and forth and just review it anytime they want to. And that's something that's just part of the full-time academy. It is, it is part of the, yes, it's a product that we offer as part of the full-time now. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell me, let's back up. Uh, tell me a little bit about your playing career and your coaching career. 
So what, what country are you from? All that kind of stuff. How you started playing? Did you play college tennis? Where did you play? And then I'll ask something after that. Sure, absolutely. I'm from Colombia in South America. Um, I was a swimmer actually. Early on, I, I swam for many, many years. My older boy was actually a very successful swimmer as well. And I decided to start playing tennis when I was around 11 or 12. That's when I decided that tennis was going to be something that I was interested in. Mm. Uh, but also, I was already competing at a very high level in swimming. I just probably took it a little bit too serious too early. And having my brother being so successful, in the same sport and being older, it kind of like kind of like maybe chopped me down a little bit. And I decided to just do something different and tennis became uh, an option, but I was a little bit already behind. So I had to catch up and I had to play catch up for many, many years sure. because everybody else was just ahead of the game. So I played the national tournaments in Colombia. I was top 10 in 16s and 18s because I skipped 12 and, and 14 because I was just kind of catching up. Um, and then in 18s, I decided to go and play college. It was all new to us in South America, especially in Colombia. We didn't have anyone that had already... Where in Colombia? I'm from a little town in the center of the country. It's called Ibagué, okay. which is between Bogota, which is the capital, and Cali, which is one of the major cities as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then I decided to go and play college tennis, but then I didn't know English. Then I didn't have the TOEFL or the SAT, and there was so much misinformation. I had the level and I could have gone maybe to a D1 school. I was talking to some of the coaches, but then nobody knew what to do and how to do it. So I ended up going for, I went to a junior college first in Georgia. And then I- Which junior college? ABAC. Okay. ABAC in Tiston, Georgia. Georgia. Yes. A lot of people don't realize Georgia's got such a high level. The, the D2s, the D3s, the junior colleges, they're all good. Absolutely. And actually we finished second in the nation both years with the junior college and the team was incredibly strong. We actually beat plenty of D1s and D2s. Uh, sometimes they wouldn't even play us because it doesn't look good on them to lose to junior colleges. So they kind of tried to avoid playing us. But, uh, but it was a great way to get started. It was easy for me to transition from Spanish to English. So it gave me the opportunity to just adapt myself to it. And then I transferred to a D2 school in North Carolina, University of Mount Olive. Yeah close to uh, ECU and Wilmington, uh, that's, where I, that's where I finished my, my, my other two years of playing college tennis. And that's how I kind of did my, my college career. Well, that's two tennis hotbeds, right? Georgia and North Carolina, tennis everywhere. People love tennis there, that's awesome. So then how did you find uh, the, the academy here, Tucker Tennis Academy here in Oklahoma? Well, after I graduated, I started coaching at Vandermeer Tennis in Hilton Head Island. I had the privilege of working actually when Dennis was still alive and Dennis was highly involved with, with tennis. I started doing all my summers and then when I graduated, they called me again because they were trying to restructure the high performance program and I, I became one of the coaches over there. Um, after like two or three years in 2007, 2008, I decided to go back to Colombia. My younger brother was already playing. Uh, he was starting to do well in national tournaments and he was struggling finding a coach to travel with him and stuff like that. So I decided to just go and help him out. Very cool. And then I kind of ended up starting my own academy or a group of players more than an academy because we didn't own the facility or anything uh, because other kids wanted to practice with us. And then it became, it became a group of a pretty solid group of players. Sure, sure. And that's how I started traveling to ITFs and we went to Europe and we went to South America, the Caribbean, and we did a lot of traveling. And then in one of those 
trips, I met some of the coaches from JTCC. JTCC is a non-profit organization, Tiafo, Dennis Kudla, all those guys came from there. Uh, I ended up traveling with their group as well at some point, so I met one of the coaches, and I became the traveling coach for, for, for that group in South America where they couldn't send a coach down there. Uh, and they were the ones that told me about Tulsa. They oh, told really? me, yeah, they're, 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 they know Matias very well. They know Trent very well, Vesa and Frank Salazar, who was at the time working for them as well. Um, they, I was still in Colombia. They made a partnership with an indoor club in Connecticut, and they were starting a brand new high performance in Connecticut, and they needed two coaches to run the program. So they hired me, and they sent another guy from Maryland up there. And then after the contract was over, three years later, they told me about Tulsa. I came to visit. This is in the middle of the pandemic, 2020. Oh, really? This is when we moved. And then I came to visit, loved the place, loved the town, and we just moved with the whole family. Yeah, yeah, it's a good place. That's a cool story. Yeah. So you mentioned a lot of things. How, does, how did your game style and your career experience affect how you coach the players here? Well, I mean, I, of course, I grew up in South America, so we grew up on clay which is a much slower sure. pace of the game. So it forces you to develop different skills, um, understanding the game a little bit more because you don't really rely on weapons in terms of shots. So it forces you to be very physically strong, mentally strong as well, be very patient. And then you just develop other skills that at the end of the day, now that I'm coaching, I can try to transfer all that information into a player that is not only hitting the ball well. It goes beyond hitting the ball. It's more about... Um, identifying the weaker side of my opponents and understanding my weaker side and understanding my strength and then using my weapons against their weaker their weaknesses and that's exactly how we how we practice over here and that's how I try to use my experience with our players is just to try them try to give them as much information as we can uh, not just how to hit the ball because hitting the ball is at the end of the day is kind of easy anyone can teach that but it's telling the kids and teaching the kids how to go beyond that and then think a little bit deeper into it, you know? Yeah, yeah, more being more strategic, Absolutely. being able to set up points, the whole thing. So what would you say, uh, what group here would you say you work with the most? It's probably not the 10 and under, it's probably more the 12 to 18, is it? Yes, I, I spend most of my time working be, yeah, with the kids between 12 and 18. And I don't know, probably because of my personality or I don't, I don't really know, but I spend a lot of time working with the girls. Okay. Most of them, I'm the primary coach of mostly girls. I have a few boys as well, and I'm happy to take any, any boys, but I have a pretty good connection with the girls. And I'm actually working at the moment with a lot of female players from the club. Yeah, and so uh, working 12 to 18, does the club, you talked about being the travel coach, does the club provide travel here if uh, a player comes full-time? And by the way, the full-time academy is Monday through Friday. They're here all day long. They're literally sitting outside the window eating lunch while we're, we're recording this. What's, how does travel work if, a, for example, if a player lives in Massachusetts, they've sent their child here to be here full-time. How does that child who's here full-time by themselves have the opportunity to go play tournaments? Well, that's actually a good question. So if we have a family that is coming or send a kid just to train with us. We, we find a house, we find a, we find a family, hopefully from, the, from our club, from a member of the club. Uh, so they will be in charge of taking care of the kid, make sure that the kid is safe and they provide the food and all that. And then we organize the tournament schedule that fits the player the best. 
And then we just try to talk with the parents and then see if they can go with them or if they need assistance with the coaches to take the kids to the tournament. So, for example, this past weekend, we had one of the coaches just traveling with one player to Austin, Texas. The kid made it to the L2. And there was no parent that could drive the kid. And then one of the coaches, that's that's what we're here for. And that's part of our commitment. And that's part of our our job because our full-time program, it's, um, it's our most recognized product. And the traveling part of it and the competition is a big component of it. So is where they take the test pretty much for, for the kids that are in the full time. So we have to watch them compete. Uh, so we try to go as much as we can, of course. And we travel with them, we stay with them. If the parents wanna come with us, they're welcome to come as well. But the whole point is that we would like to be part of the traveling uh, as much as the parents as well. So tell me, you know, one of the things I think is most impressive is when you do do the travel coaching, which we've done, then sometime within the next week or so, there's going to be a report sent to the parents. Can you talk a little bit about what that report includes and why it's important to have it? Absolutely. So, yeah, so once the tournament is, is done and we come back home, uh, the coach that, that was on the road with the players, he's in charge of writing a report. A report just basically goes through simple questions about how the tournament went, um, on-court behavior, if, there was, if, it, if it was positive, if it was negative. Uh, and, that, and that could be behavior, but also effort. Right? Absolutely. Did they give good effort? Yes. Did, but also, were they behaving? Absolutely. It, in, it includes both. And then we talk about three different areas or two different areas that the player needs to spend some more time working on. So, if the coach considers that the points were too short and the player was a little bit anxious and couldn't rally long enough and could have done a better job staying longer in the rally and forcing the opponent to play an extra shot and stuff like that. So, he would mention that in the report. And then the report goes to the parent and it also goes to the primary coach of the kid. So everyone has access to that, and then we can review it, and then we sit down with the kid, and then we go over the, rev- the, the report, making sure they understand what, what the coach is trying to say. And then that becomes the game plan for the next couple of weeks until they go to the next tournament. So the report becomes very, very crucial for us. Yeah, it's, I think it's one of the most impressive things with us being here that we get to see that, because a lot of parents out there that they may be I think of a parent that's in a city that doesn't have an academy and they're driving the child everywhere and they wish the coach would go. And so here you get all of that. Um, and, and I think also the coach sitting and watching them in competition is a little different than, so talk to talk about that for a second because you're here with them all day, every day, right? You're probably here with them so much you get sick of being with them. Uh, but the way they compete in a practice match and the way they compete in point play here against somebody they know that they played 10, 15, 20 times is very different than when you drive to another city and they're playing somebody that they don't know. So explain to me why watching the players in competition matters because there are some coaches out there that will say, well, I get to see them here every day. I know what they need to improve. So explain to me why it matters for you to go to the tournament. Well, I think it's very simple. And I think it's almost impossible for us or for anyone in in, in our field to simulate the pressure that the kids go through and feel in practice compared to the pressure they feel when they're competing. When they're training, yes, we try to make the environment very competitive and and, and they play points and they play sets and all that. And there's a lot on the line. Sometimes we put a little punishment on the line, maybe some running or something or push-ups or whatever, just to make them feel some sort of pressure. But at the end of the day, they know that there is no ranking involved. There is no UTR involved. There is no winning or losing. 
at that moment. But when they go and play a tournament, it's, it's everything on the line. It's all on the line right there, and it's a lot play, being played on the table right there. So it is important for them to feel that they have somebody with them as well, so that they're not fully, even though they're competing by themselves on the court, having a coach outside, they, it gives them a little bit of confidence that there is a team behind me, helping me and supporting me, that I can also rely, rely on, you know? Yeah, that makes that I never I never thought about that. That is a good point. You you watch pro players with their box and you watch like Kyrios yelling at his box, but still him and you think, why does he even have a box if he's just gonna yell at him? But it does make sense that he, he has somebody he can yell at that he can take some of that anxiety pressure, and give it to them. Let me ask you this. Why haven't been you know, I never played tennis. I was I played football, basketball, golf. Why why do you think the kids feel so much pressure? You know, I was talking to a parent the other day, and, and, and the worst thing, and I think I know the answer, but the worst thing that happens to them on a day-to-day basis is just losing. Yeah. And for us as adults, we're like, man, it could be way worse than that. Like, there's a whole bunch of other things that could happen. Why do you think they feel such strong pressure? I think expectations. They, they all have big dreams, and they all dream big, so they don't want to fail. And I think the feeling, I think as human beings, we're, we don't like the feeling of not being good at something. Sure. And we try to avoid doing stuff that would make us feel uncomfortable and not good. Mm-hmm. So human beings are just competitive by nature, and we just try to avoid that feeling. And then when they step on the court, it's a 50-50. There's a 50% chance of winning, and there's a 50% you know, chance that you're gonna probably lose. We hope. <laughs> exactly, so I mean, we hope it goes our way, but they, it, becomes, it becomes that they don't wanna disappoint the parents, they don't wanna disappoint the coaches. Uh, at, a, at an older age, they understand a little bit about money, so they know that the parents are making a big investment, they're traveling, we drove eight hours to go to a tournament, and now I have to go and play this kid and I can't lose. Uh, sometimes there is pressure because there is a UTR involved, they're all trying to get to a higher UTR. Um, sometimes there is a ranking, they're trying to make it into the L1 and they need to do well at this tournament, otherwise I don't get enough points to get in. So pressure is always gonna be there. And there is, we're always gonna find a way of, of feeling that pressure. I think it's just a matter of teaching the kids how to deal with that pressure in a good way and how to use the pressure uh, in a way that they can actually succeed and progress instead of freezing and panicking about it, you know? Yeah, that's. I think that's really challenging. So what do you do on a day-to-day basis here so that when they walk into that environment, they're just a little more ready for it? Well, what we do is we try to give them a small goals before, before we do anything competitive. So let's say on Wednesday we do match play, we talk to them on Monday and Tuesday, and we give them a couple of things to work on, and then individually we try to approach them, and we try to tell them, okay, today we're gonna, we're gonna do match play tomorrow. I want you to try to focus on keeping track of how many times you actually close points at the net. So we give them information and we give them a staff to work on so they don't so they try to forget about the score as much as possible even though that's nearly impossible to forget about the score because they always try to win but at least we try to give them something else to distract themselves. So we tell them to keep track of the points that they're winning at the net. We tr- tell them to t- keep track of the Fair serve percentage, we uh, body language, how they react when they lose a point. It's not only about hitting tennis balls. Sometimes with some of them that become emotional on the court, we tell them, okay, we're gonna focus on your body, on your body language after you lose a point. What are you gonna do about it? 
Are you going to just start looking up and asking God for help or whatever? Or are you going to turn around, go to your towel, reset, refocus, and then go back to the next point? Yeah, I'll tell you the... the so our child, for the listeners out there don't know, but our child goes to the academy here. And uh, he did, and you probably remember, but he did week, in, week pop-ins here and there. And I think one of the things that made me say, let's go full time, and this is going to sound crazy, but he always has had trouble with emotions on court, with anger when it didn't go his way, right? Yeah. And lots of players do. Absolutely. But when he would come here for a week and then I would watch him in competition, the habits were much better. Yeah. So he'd lose a point before in anger. Now it was back to the deal, take the towel, next point. And I used to always say, just go to the other side and play the next point. Yeah. Um, I saw that happen here when he would come and those habits were built in. And honestly, I, I don't know if you've ever had a parent say this, but that's one of the main reasons we wanted him to come because we saw this was one of the few places that had an impact on those emotions and habits, emotion, yeah. right? So I appreciate the coaches, the way that they don't put up with negative behavior, that they awesome. make the kids act right. Um, but then you have to balance that, right? You don't want to push too hard and make the kid not want to be here. So how do you balance that? Well, that's a, that's always a, that's always a challenge, but and that's also why we try to, especially with the high performance program, with our full time program, we do a small ratios. So we try to have three players per coach, so that gives us the time to talk to them, to approach them during their sessions. We can be close to them whenever they need us. Sure. So when we're competing, when they're playing points, if we have 20 kids and one coach, it would be impossible for that coach to manage 20 personalities and 20 reactions at the same time. But if it's four or five of us working with the kids, with a group of 12 or 15 kids, it gives me the chance to actually watch the whole game. And then as soon as I see the kid is about to react or overreact, then we can just approach it and cut it and then distract it with something else. Maybe bring him in and give him a little talk, give him something to focus on. Uh, maybe just say something good that they did or whatever the situation is. But it's being on top of them when we're practicing, even though they're competing and we let them do their thing and exec you know, execute their game plan and all that. We try to be behind them, making sure they making sure they feel the support and we also guide them as they as they go i mean of course we let them fail sometimes because they need to know how to do it it's part of it but at the same time we want to reinforce it and we want to help them when we feel like they need a little bit of a push yeah i think one of the most impressive things is is letting them fail but also um like you said the small number of coaches per player because there's a, there are some coaches that i think don't like an intense, fiery kid when they lose, right? Like yeah. I, when I coached other sports, I loved that kid that when it didn't go their way, were upset and crying because you can't make kids care. Yeah. And kids that are upset, that are intense, that are crying, they're just telling you they care. They care, absolutely, and that's what we look for. And so it's just channeling it, Yeah. right? Yeah. And so that's what I love about what I see here is it's not, uh, coaches running away from a player like that, it's them understanding that's exactly the kind of player we want. Now let's see if we can get them to channel it. Absolutely. Have you had players you've coached in the past that started sort of as a almost a firecracker and they found a way to channel it that are here? Oh, absolutely. We have plenty. We have plenty. There is one that is actually already playing for ORU, Eli Brewer. One of our best kids, actually, when he graduated, when he was younger, he was a, he was a 
whole case during practice, during tournaments. The parents didn't know what to do with him. He was like out of control sometimes. We need to talk to those parents. Absol absolutely. It would be actually very interesting to see him now that he's playing college tennis, how composed and how he just managed himself around the court. It took him a lot of work and it took him a lot of years. But we, I mean, when I got here, he was still pretty crazy out there sometimes. But then it was our job to help him and to give him a little break when we when we saw that he was already getting too much sure. and maybe sit him down a little bit or whatever, but it still exposed him to that because he had to find a way to figure it out if he wanted to play college tennis. The pressure that they feel at a junior level is not different than the pressure they're going to feel in college. It's probably going to be even more in college because now it's the whole team is not just competing for themselves. The coach is involved and then the players, the rest of the team is going to be with them. So there is more on the table. And if they fail, it's not just failing individually, it's the whole team failing. Sure. So there is more. So that's what we tell the kids all the time. You're feeling pressure right now, but when we go to college, it's not even worse. Yeah. So exactly. So let's find a way of making it better now. Let's find a way to uh, channeling all that energy. Um, but we do want players that are, that, that, are, that are feeling the competition the way they have to feel it. And, and I like when the kids, they, feel, they leave practice and they're upset. And, and they want to come back. We just need to come and get close to them, talk to them, just let them know that it's okay to have a bad day, that it's okay to lose a match like that, but we just got to do better the next day. That's right. And that's what we try to do. So uh, transitioning to the 3D, you talked about the, the um, on-court product where they where they the tennis analytics tell me about the 3d and we're going to have Sawinski on on to tell us more about it but tell us from a coach's perspective why is it important well i think we have a we have the luxury of having uh, jim with all his experience is to me he's like a scientist yeah. to be honest to be honest with you and the terminology and the and the video and the software and all that is very complex it's very hard to to get around, but once you get to work with him and he, he will be super patient with you explaining how everything works and all that. So I think it's a great tool because it gives us the opportunity to look at each stroke and break it down in, in as many pieces as you want to, depending on the player, depending on the coach, depending on what you want. Uh, so we can take a forehand and break it down in like 20 different things and we can really take a look at very detailed information starting from the split step and finishing with the follow through. So we can take a closer look at where the elbow is when the kid is making contact. Where, where is the pathway of the racket when he's swinging? If the racket too high when they're preparing the racket, is it too low? Is he getting enough under the ball? That's probably why the kid is lacking a spin because the racket is not, the head of the racket is not getting under the ball at all. So it gives us the opportunity to take a look at the stuff that we cannot see with our eyes because the ball is just happening, it's just too coming fast. too fast. The game is getting way, way too fast. And then if I'm looking at the racket, I'm not looking at his feet. And if I'm looking at his feet, then I'm not looking at his upper body. So we miss a lot of information when we're on court with them. So having that tool just give us more information and more resources to work with. So yeah, that's it is actually cool. And I, they send it out, you know, periodically, forehand, backhand, serve, and he gives you a lot of data on on measurables that are increasing yeah. in technique. Um, but I think it's interesting, you know, not every parent that will get involved in the academy no, understands technique, nor do they want to, right? A lot of people who come to the academy, they don't want to do tennis anymore. Here, you take it. So what, 
as a coach, do y'all watch the videos that he produces and then work on your, because you mentioned each player has kind of a coach that they're gravitated to. Is that what you do? You get the players to give you the video and you watch it? Absolutely. So we go, so we set up the video sessions and we have all the kids going through it. And then it takes about a day or two for him to process all the information. And then he sends the video to the player and to the primary coach and to myself and Chris as well. So we do have access to all that. So all the coaches see it pretty much because we have a group chat with all the coaches, so we get all those videos. If there is anything really particular that we need to talk as a group, then we will bring it up. Like if we need to change the grip of somebody, it happened before. It's a big deal. Exactly, kids that come from out of town and they have a full Western grip, we let them go through the 3D analysis and then he will bring it up at some point. He will suggest it to the parent and to the kid and then as coaches, we have to just get on board with that and then have a little meeting, make sure everybody is on the same page and we just tackle that. Same thing, yeah, that way on court, one person's not saying leave it and another saying change it. Exactly, and that's the reason why we also have the primary coaches because the day-to-day and staff information like that, I think is better if we, if the kid has a coach that can, they can easily reach in case something happens. I mean, of course, Chris is up there and I'm there all the time and we're always on court, but we don't teach all the kids all the time. I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't see all the kids privately. So they all have their primary coaches that are in charge over the day-to-day. And then if they need more assistance or if they need help or if they want a second opinion about something, then we can all jump in and, and then just contribute to that. Got it. Well, that's this has been great. Um, I, I wanted to keep it to 30 minutes and we're right there. So, awesome. uh, Camilo, thanks so much for being here. And I hope the folks that listen enjoyed it. We're going to try to continue to do these podcasts regularly, not just for uh, general information, but... I think it'd be great for parent education, people who are thinking about coming here. So thanks so much for being here. No, absolutely. Thank you. And I hope we have a lot of uh, listeners. Thank you for having me.